turn to our reading from the gospel today from the gospel of Matthew. And Jesus is speaking and he's in parable zone. You know, he's telling parables. And this is one of them. It's as if a man going on a journey summoned his slaves and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. The one who had received the five talents went off at once and traded with them and made five more talents. In the same way, the one who had two talents made two more talents. But the one who received the one talent went off and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. The one who'd received the five talents came forward, bringing five more talents, saying, Master, you've handed over to me five talents, and I've made five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You've been trustworthy in a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. The one with two talents also came forward, saying, Master, you handed over to me two talents. See, I've made two more talents. Master said to him, well done, good and trustworthy slave. You've been trustworthy in a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. The one who received the one talent also came forward, saying, Master, I, I knew that you were a harsh man, reaping where you did not sow gathering where you did not scatter seeds. So I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, have what is yours. His master replied, you wicked and lazy slave. You knew, did you, that I reap where I did not sow, where I gather where I did not scatter? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And on my return, I would have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and Give it to the one with the ten talents, for to those, all those who have more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. As for this worthless slave, throw him into the outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The word of the Lord. Join me in a prayer. What a baffling story this is. Oh God, perhaps it is supposed to baffle us. Help us this morning, help us unbaffle it. Give us a, perhaps a different way to hear it. Bring some clarity. Speak to us. We pray in Christ. Amen. We are living in a secular crisis. You knew that already, didn't you? It's not headline news. We're living in a secular crisis. We've been in one for a number of years now. It is 
going to continue for the foreseeable future secular crisis. All you got to do is turn on your television or look up the latest headlines on your cell phone. There it is, plain as day. Racial tensions are high. International tensions are high. We're starting to realize just how much sexual harassment is out there. The shootings haven't stopped. We're living in a secular crisis. And politics, well, all it takes is for a Republican to try and say something and there's a slew of Democrats waiting on the sidelines to chime in and tell us why what they just said is wrong. All it takes is for a Democrat to try and say something and there's a whole slew of Republicans sitting there on the sidelines ready to tell us why what they just said is wrong. It doesn't matter what political leader tries to say what they say when they try to make a statement. There is inevitably a group of people out there who will take charge and show us why what they just said is horrible and how they're horrible people for even suggesting it in the first place. Our world is so used to living divided that we don't have a clue as to how to live any other way. living in a secular crisis. And yet the news over the past couple of weeks, if it's reminded us of anything at all, it's shown us that it doesn't matter what party you belong to, whether you're red or blue, left or right, when you have power, you are likely to abuse it. Movements like hashtag Me Too and Black Lives Matter are there to point out to us and remind us that those with power don't know how to handle power in any other way except for hurting someone else. We are living in a secular crisis. In a secular crisis, it feels as if everything could fall apart in any given moment. The world feels fragile. In a secular crisis, what once felt safe no longer feels safe. In a secular crisis, fear is the Lord of the dance. We ask ourselves questions like, what happened to the world I thought I knew? I thought I knew the world. What happened? What's going on? So in walks the parable of the talents of all stories. That's not exactly the kind of parable that you would immediately think fits with what I just said, and yet it does. It's not exactly the parable that you think to immediately go to and read in a time like this, and yet it should be. New Testament professor Douglas Hare from Pittsburgh Seminary comments on this parable. He says that this parable points out to us that this parable sits in the middle of two others, one before it, one after it, and they form a trilogy. 
that's often referred to as the apocalyptic discourse. Now, that's sounding more about right, isn't it? Apocalyptic discourse, apocalypse, you know, the end stuff, everything's coming, it's all falling apart, apocalypse, ah, now it's starting to sound right, apocalyptic discourse. He goes on to point out that the function of apocalyptic language and stories in Scripture is not intended to necessarily reveal to us some secret of end days or anything like, or some hidden secret of heaven, but is instead the intent is to strengthen the faithfulness of believers during difficult times. In other words, our parable today, along with the two others it sits in, are meant to help strengthen our faith in a secular crisis. When we read this parable, even the editors title it Parable of the Talents because that's what we focus on often. We focus on the talents. It's what grabs our attention, the talents. We want to know what the talents are, what it's all about. And, you know, we equate the landowner giving the different amount of talents to the different servants according to their ability to God giving us gifts according to our ability, right? Gives us different gifts according to our ability and that's what we equate it to. And we learn about the value of the talent. You know, it's 6,000 denarii we find out and that equals about 20 years of what it would take a day labor to earn. In other words, in order to earn one talent, a day laborer would have to work for 20 years. So even the one that gets the least amount from the landover is landowner is getting something very wealthy and precious and valuable. And we equate that to God giving us gifts that are valuable and precious. And so we go down that line and we follow it to its obvious logical end. And we chime in with the landowner and we come down hard on the third servant. We say, yeah. Why did you hide your talent in the ground? Why did you not invest it like the others? As if someday God's going to come to us and, and say you hid your talents. Why did you do that? As if God's going to come down hard on us because we were afraid. That's how we often read it. It's not a bad way to read it. It's a, it's a fine way to read that parable. But what if it was meant to be heard differently. What if it was to be read through a different lens? What if this parable is not about the kingdom of God? That by saying this parable, Jesus is not, in fact, describing the kingdom of God, but is instead describing the reality of the world we live in now? What if the landowner is in fact not God at all, but is instead literally a landowner? Would you read it different then? There's a key line in this story that makes me, along with many scholars, you know, it's always good to have a slew of scholars behind you, think that way. To think that that's actually what it's being described here. And the line is this. It's when the third servant comes back to the master. And the third servant is the only one who says this. Says, I know that you are a harsh man. 
that you reap where you do not sow, that you gather where you did not scatter seed. In other words, I know that you are unrelenting and corrupt. And the landowner doesn't disagree. In fact, the landowner chimes right in and says, oh yeah, so you knew, huh? You knew that I was unrelenting and, and corrupt and that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I did not scatter seed. And that really all I care about is making money. So why did you not go out like the other two servants and make money for me like they did? Why did you not do that? And then gets on him more and more and more and more. The picture of a corrupt master does not equate with the good and gracious God that Jesus speaks of in so many other places. So I've come to believe that this parable is in fact a descriptive of the harsh reality of the world we live in, the masters of our time. How it sends us into fear. Don't forget I told you that it's part of three parables, a trilogy, sits in the middle. And when you read all of them together, it actually starts to make even more sense that this parable is talking about our world, not the heavenly world, not the kingdom of God, but, but this world. It starts off at the beginning. and see, Jesus qualifies only two of the parables, the first one and the last one. The one we read today doesn't qualify. He just says, it's like. We don't know what it, it, he's talking about, this world or the other world. It's, the, it's, it's ambiguous. But the first one he clarifies the kingdom of God is like. It's like, he says, a bunch of bridesmaids. Story of the bridesmaids, if you know it. It's like ten bridesmaids, he says. Five are foolish, five are wise. And they're getting ready for the bridegroom. And the foolish bridesmaids take their oil lamps, but they don't put any oil in them because, you know, they're foolish. They just don't think about it. They just don't, they're, they're good enough to have oil lamps. The wise ones do. They prepare. They put oil lamps, they oil for it, and they have a little bit extra to make sure they have enough. And they're all getting there ready for the bridegroom to appear. And someone shouts almost, it feels like, from the mountaintop, here comes the bridegroom. And the ones without the oil, you know, they sit there and they say, we don't have any oil. Can we borrow some of your oil? And the ones that have it say, well, we don't have enough for all of us. No, you're going to have to go to the dealer and get more oil. So they rush off foolishly as they are to go to the dealer and get more. And by the time they come back, the bridegroom has come and gone. They've missed it. And the point of that story, as Jesus himself tells us, is be ready for you not, do not know the day or the hour in which the kingdom of God will appear. Be ready. For the kingdom of God. And then he moves into this story and it becomes quickly apparent that this is different. That in fact he might just be talking about how hard it is to actually be ready in a harsh world in which we live. A world of secular crisis where everyone fends for themselves as he starts to tell this story. And we start to get that that's what he's saying. Be ready. But it's hard to be ready in this world. That's the function of this parable. And we get to the first two servants who go out and bring back more, and we say, yes. Feels like everyone's doing that. All they're in for is themselves, no one else. And they seem to just get rewarded. And we move to the third servant, who runs and hides his talent in the sand because of the corrupt, harsh masters of our time. And we say, right, that's how I feel. 
So many of us are so afraid to say anything at all. We've gone into hiding. We feel that way about this story and get to that point and it starts to bubble up in us. We start to wonder, what then should I do, Jesus? How should I live? How should we do this? How? Tell us, tell us, how do we live faithfully during a secular crisis? And you're not going to find the answer from the parable of the talents. That's not its point. The point of this parable is to show us the problem. Be ready, he says with the first parable. Here's how hard it is to be ready in a harsh world with unrelenting and corrupt masters all over the place. How do we do it? Find the answer. We have to keep reading. To know how to do it and how to live, we have to hear what Jesus says next. When the Son of Man comes in His glory, all the nations will be gathered before Him, and He will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats, and He will put the sheep at His right hand and the goats at His left. The King will say to those at His right hand, come, you that are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom that are prepared for you, for I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was in prison and you visited me. I was sick and you cared for me. The righteous will answer him, when was it that we did this, Lord? And the king, the righteous king, will say, just as you did it to one of the least of these, you did it to me. That's how we do it. That's how we live faithfully in a secular crisis. In a world where people are so afraid, they hide themselves away, we are called together to be the church and help dig them out of the sand. People need to know that it is okay for them to have a different understanding than you do, for them to have a different opinion than you do, for them to have a different perspective, a thought than you do. People need to know it's safe, that there is something much bigger to believe in. People need the church. And let me tell you what kind of church I'd like to be part of. I'd like to be part of a church that deeply cares if you are Republican or Democrat, that deeply cares if you are white or black or Latino or Asian or Indian, the 
deeply cares if you were born on this side of the pond or if you're just arriving, that deeply cares about whatever experience it is you bring because it is a church that lives to welcome every single person they find into a house that is bigger than all of it, a church that strives to learn about, be challenged by, and follow a faith in Jesus Christ that's larger than all of it put together, a church that realizes we live in a world of hidden talents and yet refuses to allow the masters of our time to dictate terms, a church that works hard to listen to every single person as if that person is God's absolute favorite. That's the kind of church I want to be part of. That, my friends, is the church of Jesus Christ. Let's come out of hiding and make it a reality. Amen.